Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi guys, James from the Stock Club Podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just want to remind you that we're just four weeks away from our first in-person event in the US. This is happening on November 8th in New York. If you like learning from our chief investor, Emmett Savage, on the Stock Club podcast, you'll definitely want to grab a seat at in-person. At this one-day event, Emmett shows you how he has beaten the market over three times every single year for the past 20 years. We recently hosted the Dublin chapter of the in-person event, and one attendee said, the day reinforced a few key things for me in terms of process and individual stocks. I have no doubt that this day will pay me back many multiples of the cost of the day. Seats for in-person in New York are extremely limited and selling out fast. If you want to grab one of those remaining seats, go to inperson.mywallstreet.com. That's inperson.mywallstreet.com and get your ticket today. You can also find a link in the notes for today's show. Hi there and welcome to the Stock Club Podcast, coming to you from the top floor of my Wall Street HQ here in Dublin, Ireland. I'm James and with me this week is my Wall Street co-founder and chief investor, Emmett Savage and our head analyst, Rory Karen. Today, we're talking about the collapse of Facebook's Libra project, the difficulty of investing in socially responsible companies, and which two of our best performing stocks have the brightest future ahead. So guys, um, apart from the never-ending trade war, the other big story coming out of China at the moment is the pro-democracy protests that are going on in Hong Kong. Um, this has had a big knock-on effect for a lot of investors with numerous companies in the US getting caught up in the crossfire. Uh, Rory, do you want to kick off talking about what's happened with the NBA, which kind of set this all off? Yeah, I mean, this is such a bizarre story and yet it feels like it was coming for so long. Yeah. Um, there, so uh, a guy called Daryl Morey, who is the general manager of a basketball team called the Houston Rockets, sent out a tweet about two weeks ago just with an image supporting the protests in Hong Kong. Yeah. And this has caused uproar in China. Absolute <laughs> fear. Like, uh, they, the state TV said that it hurt the feelings of the Chinese people. Um, <laughs> which is interesting because Twitter, of course, is banned in China. Yeah. So not entirely sure how many people it hurt. But anyway, look, they've taken great offence to this. Um, it led to two preseason games not being shown on state television. Uh, Tencent uh, threatened to boycott their streaming um deal with them or to renege on their streaming deal with them uh, multiple online shops have removed Houston Rockets merchandise um, it's just like it's it's a huge huge deal yeah. people who don't realise why it's such a huge deal uh, basketball in China is massive it's, I was just going to say that you, you think of the NBA as a, like a typical American sports league but it's, it's watched by 800 million people in China so there's that's a good I was I was looking for that stat and I couldn't get one so well done for getting in there uh, the one I found was that it's played by 300 million people in China okay. that's the nearly the population of the United States like play basketball is, yeah um, it's particularly important for the Rockets as well because 
back in 2002, it was the Houston Rockets who drafted a player called Yao Ming, who is essentially the Michael Jordan in China. Okay. China. He is like the biggest basketball star they've ever had. Yeah. So they were immensely popular in China. And um, they obviously are now getting hit with a lot of negative press. And uh, there's a this really weird thing going on there where the NBA is, they kind of came out with a statement saying that they didn't approve of what he did. And then they got in a lot of, lot of trouble in the States because they were saying, like, American values being trampled on by a Chinese kind of e- economic power. Yeah. And uh, he, they've since kind of pulled back on that and said that they respect anyone's right in America to um, put out their their opinion. Uh, and it's just, it, it, it feels like it's kind of pulling back now. Like, uh, Tencent have started streaming the games again. There seems to be a kind of settling. Yeah. But, I mean, if you think about it, like, there is no more differentiated product in the world than the NBA like there is no basketball league that even comes close to it um, you think of the star power that they have and the players that play there and like so what happens when a company that doesn't have that kind of differentiation comes up against China like they are just going to have to fold they will not be able to stand their ground when yeah. this comes up well well, like in discussing China and obviously China is a, a massively lucrative market but um, you know we've all, always said that you know the, the whims of the government are one of the biggest problems for companies over there and even with this controversy with the NBA it's spread to so many other companies somewhere in our showroom so for example Nike was criticised because Nike stores in China were seen to remove all Houston Rocket merchandise from the shelves in the wake of the incident. Separately, Activision Blizzard has been in trouble because they punished one of their esports gamers after he publicly supported the protests in a post-game interview. They've been really criticised across a lot of the a lot of social media and Reddit and things like that. Tiffany as well has been kind of a a, a surprise. Um, Surprisingly, in the Crossfire 2, they had to delete an advertisement that showed a model covering her right eye because apparently in some parts that's a signal of support for the pro-democracy protests as well. So it's it's really just highlights how how hard it is to navigate China. Yeah, you know, I was listening to a, a podcast, not this podcast, obviously, another podcast, <laughs> um, I think it was by the BBC and there was a guy on there and I can't remember who he is, so apologies, but he said when he was working in China for American companies, he said, you always avoid the three T's. Uh, that's Tiananmen Square, Tibet and Taiwan. Just yeah. don't even mention them. Don't even look in their direction because that it, just mentioning those one of those places or mentioning one of those subjects is just off bounds for Westerners. Wow, wow. Um, that's, a, that's very interesting. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's so, like looking back, there's so many stories of companies that have run afoul of this. Like Gap, a couple of mm. years ago, I think had a t-shirt with a map of China that didn't include Taiwan and that was like outrage, <laughs> like huge oh. outrage. And, you know, like, I mean, obviously we are not Chinese or we're, we're coming at this from a Western point of view and it seems like overreaching, but yeah, it's it just seems like you have these, these companies have to be so careful what yeah. they do. I've invested in Chinese stocks listed in the US exchange over the years with the net effect of losing money and not because they weren't great businesses, and but because there was an extra and very dense layer of strategic analysis required, which yeah. frankly I didn't have the insight to get through. And it's the things that you've said are alluded to, Roy, which is like the the complexity of governance, regulation, local attitudes. Things can hit a business from the West in China, or even a business in China, and we can't see it coming until it's happened it's it's very complex yeah I mean I remember uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing here I'm, I might have misremembered this but there was something about how um, if you're setting up a business in China and you ask people to put their email in as a sign in 
they just will not bother because they, they don't use emails as their kind of identifier. They use their mobile telephone number, yeah. which to us sounds kind of weird that you would sign yeah. in using your mobile yeah. phone number, but that's yeah. what they do in China. So all these Western companies go over and try and get people to set up an account and are like, enter your email and choose a password. And as soon as they see email, they're just like, no, don't bother. Absolutely. And funny you should say, because my wife's in Beijing at the moment and before she left, we decided WeChat, the WhatsApp, if you like, of China was the right way for us to communicate because of the difficulties we've experienced in the past in just exchanging messages. Mm. So I downloaded WeChat, which has 1 billion active users. So it is not <laughs> a niche app. So I downloaded WeChat and, and started to create my account and was very boldly told to enter my date of birth and don't lie. So really? <laughs> there was words to that effect. It said, enter your real date of birth. And I, real was, you know, uh, emphasized, which I did. And on the next page in my sign in process, it presented me with a QR code and it said, get somebody else with the, Wech- the WeChat app to scan this QR code. Effectively, you're being vouched. And I thought, that's an incredible onboarding experience. I abandoned it. Yeah. Now, you know, it's not a lack of trust in WeChat, but I just didn't want to go so deep. It's culturally very different yeah. to the way we approach any of the apps or businesses over here. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. We've often talked about it before, but China is largely such a graveyard for American companies too. Like the biggest companies, Google, Facebook, Netflix, Uber have all tried and died over there. Amazon recently removed their e-commerce platform from the country as well. So it's like a giant beehive. It's analogous to a giant, giant beehive. You know, broadly, China is a, a, a real force for good. You're not too sure entirely what's happening inside that beehive. You have observations, but there's a lot of complex goings on in there. Yeah. And most of all, you don't want to mess with it. You yeah. don't wanna, you don't you just don't want to mess with a beehive. So <laughs> I kind of think that, uh, you know, I often think of China like that giant beehive. It's it's something I admire, but like I I still haven't figured out what's happening. So moving on then, and here's something nobody expected. Facebook's Libra isn't going that well. <laughs> Imagine that. Wow. A Facebook cryptocurrency that no one wants to use. So um, about two weeks ago, PayPal announced that it was pulling out of the Libra project. And they were soon followed by a raft of other big backers, including MasterCard, Visa and Stripe. Um, so the Libra project, just to catch you all up, was the kind of regularly regulatory body, I suppose, Facebook set up to govern this cryptocurrency effort they wanted to launch next year. Um, after all these big companies pulled out, US uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said that he believes that the exodus was prompted by a realisation that the project was just not up to regulatory standards and would likely face increased scrutiny, which would be just an extra headache for all of these companies involved. Rory, are you surprised? <laughs> Um, I mean, I hate to say it, I told you so. <laughs> uh, like this, this seemed like it was dead on arrival from day one. It's like, it's it's kind of infuriating actually because it was a good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, there is just uh, not Facebook. Yeah, I mean, there's 1.7 billion people in the world who are categorized as unbanked. Essentially, yeah. don't have a form of bank account or a, a link to the financial system, and that makes their lives in- incredibly difficult. Um, and two thirds of those people do have a mobile phone. So really there is like no real reason why those two thirds aren't able to get into the system. Yeah. And Facebook with their 2.4 billion active users could have created this huge network of people that could pay each other for very little. And they got, they, they, they came out with the right idea in terms of being like, no one's going to let us do this by ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, they recruited a lot of, you know, big businesses that have 
for years won the trust of consumers. Uh, you know, the likes of MasterCard, the likes of Stripe, PayPal, Visa. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned, I don't know if it was in a Daily Insight or just talking around the office, that PayPal were the original people who got consumers to trust paying for things on the internet. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, the PayPal, that was PayPal's great success was teaching people that it's okay to put your credit card details yeah. on the internet because they were going to protect it. They were going to be the store hmm. of all this information. And the, that was what made many billionaires uh, <laughs> who have since gone on to launch other crazy ideas. Um, <laughs> but, like, I mean, PayPal leaving was huge because David Marcus who's leading this project is the former president of PayPal Yeah. so even with his connections to the company he couldn't convince them not to jump ship and it's becoming very clear as to why this has happened uh, so Senators Brian Schatz uh, who's a Democrat from Hawaii and Sherrod Brown uh, who's a Democrat from Ohio wrote a letter to Visa, MasterCard and Stripe last week explaining if you take this on you can expect a high level of scrutiny from regulators, not only on Libra-related activities, but on all payment activities. Wow. So that was just yeah. like, we're going to see it, not, no longer interested. And it's funny, it's, it's uh, uh, just a side note as well, and not many of the papers mentioned, but Mercado Libre yeah. was also involved in this project, and they left. And I understand why the papers didn't mention Mercado Libre, because most people would not have interacted with them. Yeah. Um, Do you want to just give a, a really quick one-liner of, of who Mercado Libre are? Mercado Libre are basically the eBay slash PayPal of Latin America. Okay. Um, slash Amazon slash yeah. uh, <laughs> logistics yeah. network slash the, they're they're huge, um, and they have a company called Mercado Pago, which is essentially their PayPal. It's huge in Latin America. It's, it's really leading the charge in digitizing payments in that region. Uh, and Latin America was so important for this to work because, first of all, Facebook is hugely popular in Latin America. Yeah. And second of all, they have a massive unbanked population. Somewhere, Some countries, 40% of the population wow. have a bank account. That's compared to 94% in the US, 99% in Canada and the UK. So the opportunity there for this to work was probably bigger than anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and they've pulled out. So, I mean, that wasn't kind of noted in a lot of the, the papers, but that's huge because that really was one of the things they were promising with this currency was that it was going to help people get into the system. Yeah. Without Mercado Libre, that's going to be quite hard for them. Um, I think this is just, it's it's a sign of changing times. Uh, if you think about, just with the regulation that, yeah. that they've put on Facebook now, you kind of think like back for the last kind of 10, 20 years, tech companies have always kind of leaned left. Yeah. You know, you think about Google and Apple and they're always being kind of, kind of more Democrat than Republican which makes perfect sense because they are trying to attract young highly educated workforce which tend to be uh, tend to lean left whereas the highly regulated industries oil mining banking have all tended to lean Republican because Republicans hate regulation small government, yeah. <laughs> they want small government they don't want regulation now that you see regulation coming into technology you're starting to see tech companies start to switch a little bit there's reports that um, Mark Zuckerberg has had private dinners with a lot of high-ranking Republicans in the last few weeks. And so it's going to be very interesting to see if they can maintain this balance between appearing left for their employees and acting on the right of yeah. the aisle when it comes to donations and favours. Yeah. Like that. What's that quote? If you're not a liberal at 25, <laughs> you've no heart. If you're not a liberal at 35, <laughs> you've no brain. <laughs> Is it just Mark Zuckerberg getting older? 
it's very possible. <laughs> well, you think the evolution of currency over the ages, um, there's been no great massive innovation in the exchange of value mm. between two people or a person and a company or two companies since, you know, I guess 10, 15 years ago when yeah. PayPal and friends came along and made everything a little easier. But effectively, it was underpinned by the same currency. Then, I guess, in the last five to ten years, we the conversation on cryptocurrency erupted. And that was the focus of everyone's energy. And it feels like this is the next chapter in a, in a route or a route to figuring it all out. And, like, if you think about Libra, I mean, ultimately... It, if it had been, if it, if it still goes ahead and if it was a success, which I think we've pretty much ascertained won't happen, but if it was out there, it would, it would undercut, you know, the stabilising capacity um, of central banks and countries cannot kind of govern their own financial future if that happens. And, and that is why you can see regulators are acting on the greater good of their local country, country and also their population and the greater good, I think, of the world for the moment. It's just, for now, I just think Libra is crackers. You know, yeah. you call it Roy for sure. But, you know, if it was out there, it would become a platform for tax evasion, money laundering, terrorist finance, if it was absolutely anonymous. And yet, if there was some kind of, at the if the privacy were lax, well, then it would give Facebook access to people's absolute most private details as if they needed more of that. <laughs> it's f- funny enough, like a number of kind of uh, central banks have come out and said, this is a great idea, but there's no way we're letting Facebook yeah. do it. <laughs> like, it's kind of a wake-up call to them all that this yeah. needs to be done, that something needs to change yeah. because yeah. Somewhat, some company like Facebook will yeah. do this if they don't get their act together and sort this out themselves. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who maybe rushes in to fill that void. Mm-hmm. It's like a great idea, just... Not Facebook. What company would you trust? Um, I don't know. Apple. Apple, yeah. Well, yeah. Wait and see. Well, we know Tim. We know Tim <laughs> listens to this show, so <laughs> yeah. Right. So with that, we'll move on to our company we never talk about. So for this week's edition of Company We Never Talk About, we're taking a request from Twitter and doing a deep dive on a lesser-known company in our shortlist of stocks, Duluth. Emmett, what do Duluth do to start off? Duluth Holdings sells work and casual apparel through its Duluth trading brand. Yeah. Or in common speak, basically, they sell clothing that has a workman, workwoman, look and feel yeah think of a lumberjack okay <laughs> um and it has or as of the last quarter had 55 stores in operation and to just rewind the reason that we three liked Duluth when we first brought it into the my wall street app was that it had it was giving a very honest attempt at doing for work where what under armor did for kind of uh, at that time specialist sportswear uh, and indeed what Nike did for the running shoe mm. uh, whatever 20, 30, 40 years ago and I can't, I can't recall when that was though I should but it, it was giving an honest shot at putting a really desirable brand on a niche niche area of clothing yeah. so that was the I suppose the supporting logic <laughs> as you describe it you know for us uh, bringing Duluth into the visibility of our of our customer base. So how has it done? Well, taking from its high uh, last December, it was about $32.40 last December. And I think yesterday just kind of touched nine bucks. So that's a 75% drop. And that is not what we are looking for 
in our investments, to put it mildly. And a lot of things have happened on that journey. You know, firstly, um, there was quite a few strategic changes, which we'll just dive into. But I guess to set the scene on what happened in the last quarter, because that's really, uh, you, you look in the rearview mirror at the most recent set of results, but then I guess you look at the strategy in order to assess where a company is ultimately headed. So the rear view mirror, um, recently retail sales grew 24% in the last quarter thanks to opening new stores, which we know is a... Skewed metric. It's a skewed metric, absolutely. Um, direct sales, um, which is kind of through their catalogue business, how the business began, were flat. Mm. So we, that, that's not altogether exciting um, at around 60 million bucks. Um, margins fell about 3%. We don't like that. You know, yeah. we want to see a business with pricing power and strength and especially in retail um, where margins can be sustained and costs rose, overheads rose around nearly 17%. So the rear view mirror is not all that pretty for the last quarter. Um, you know, we can go deeper on those numbers like it, 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 it bottom line about six cent a share versus 10 cent, which is what the street was looking for. So yeah, the numbers... Um, which are very easy to measure, were not pretty in the last quarter. But I think the more significant piece of news was that the CEO, Stephanie Puglies, Rory, is that what, what you go with? <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. Thanks, Rory. Uh, she resigned on August 30th. And okay. when you read the you, you read the wording around resignations to, to try and assess, was that individual encouraged or was it amicable? And certainly in reading the text around her resignation it seemed very amicable it made clear she was going off to pursue a C-level sorry she has been offered a C-level job at a giant organisation and and the founder and she were full of platitudes and respect and warmth for each other so it wasn't an ousting I don't think so but then again yeah, yeah words are words the written word is all I could go on on this piece of preparation and so who's stepping in is Salute's founder to replace Stephanie, um, a, a gentleman called Stephen Schlett. So he um, he's taken the corner office, as they say. And the next question that kind of it begs is, is his intention to stay there? Because we know that founder-led businesses are have a higher chance of getting there. Yeah, there being somewhere great. Um, so this the I suppose the the green flag from the abyss that was last quarter was that the founder is going in a CEO. But unfortunately, again, just reading what was said, it seems like the caretaker role is what he has in mind. Now, that mightn't prove to be the case. Um, but being as that his name and reputation and I guess his vast majority of his fortunes are pinned to the success of Duluth, uh, you would imagine he will stay there until he's quite certain the right person okay. is in to replace him. So that's the rearview mirror and mm -hmm. that's the current state of affairs. And we have the new, we have the original founder back in and the outgoing CEO. So really we, we need to look at this, the strategy for the business to assess today at nine bucks a share is Duluth a good place for you to park your hard-earned spare capital. And um, their their strategy comes with four pillars, as so often strategies do. And uh, number one is build brand awareness, yep. which is, you would, that sounds fine. Number two, expand retail presence. Number three, grow women's business. 
and number four, broaden uh, the assortment of selected men's product categories. Um, none of those are hugely surprising. You know, build a brand, get more shops and sell more stuff. Yeah. And you could almost take that strategy and um, supplant it into any apparel. If you read that that was Lululemon's, Nike's, It would Adidas, still make sense. It still yeah. makes sense. So there was nothing about the strategy that I felt um, was exciting. Okay. And as a matter of fact, and and um, I hope I don't attract the ire of, of our listeners, I... I just don't know if growing the women's business line is is the best use of capital. Okay. Not because for any reason other than workwear and dungarees and this kind of stuff is just, I guess, historically a little more associated with males. Um, now, that could be the great opportunity and that could yeah. be um, this, you know privileged guy sitting in Dublin making opinions from across the sea and that that I admit is absolutely not the intention but I'm just trying to figure the strategy yeah. but you know where we say building brand awareness expanding retail presence and expanding women's wear is is the strategy that Stephanie outgoing CEO stated before she left so I wouldn't be surprised if the founder comes in and adjusts it but that uh, you would imagine he signed off on before you know yeah. so they when you look at how are they building their brand awareness it's Again, all the usual stuff, TV advertising, catalogues, local marketing. Um, so that's how are they expanding retail presence? Again, um, they've identified markets for potentially 100 store locations. They have 55, as I mentioned at the moment. The conversation at the, uh, right now is kind of about doubling that. But again, I just don't see the level of ambition that would have existed at this stage for for Lululemon or Nike. Um, yeah, so so kind of overall, it's good news that the the founder CEO is kind of or the founder is coming back in the yeah, CEO role. Yeah. But yeah. you're you're not exactly enthralled or I'm not enthralled. I'm quite it. disappointed. You know the now the, the 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 CEO he has he's earned a stripe. So previously he was the CEO of a company a company called Gemplers. Yeah, which to my eye is just a less branded Duluth. So okay. he learned this business comprehensively before he started Duluth. Yeah. So I don't doubt his ability to know what to do next. But this is really a call on. Well, I, I and again, there's no there's no second, as you said, there's no second MBA, and that's a giant, giant, giant example. But I don't see a kind of branded second to Duluth. Maybe it's Gemplers. I I actually haven't as aware of the brand. But um, what we're I guess investing in here is a belief that that this type of apparel with quirky marketing and strategy and unique imagery and has really entertaining adverts which I'm sure um, if you go to the website you can't miss like are, is this something that will grow and this is where Peter Lynch's book One Up on Wall mm. Street will have any of our listeners living in the US would have an advantage over any of the three of us here and that is is work where uh, relevant is it something okay to wear other than when working? Yeah. And if if there's a if someone and our listeners see a rising trend in in workwear in both genders, you know, well then this could be a good one. But you know, the, in the in their investor relations deck, which I read, um, they have clear evidence that an op- opening a store in a location increases sales in that general location fourfold, which is hardly surprising. Yeah. yeah. You know, like there's a shop 
uh, in the local um, mall or a store in the local mall. And of course, it's going to start selling more stuff. Um, so I'm quite lukewarm on it. And the only hesitation I have is that very often the best investments are way, made sorry, at the worst of times. Yes, and so that when you're in this trough of disillusionment and everything just looks like hell, it very, very often it, it is a great time to buy. And uh, my own investing life is littered with those type of examples. So I'm quite indecisive in my bottom line. I, I feel that Duluth does what they do well. It looks like their their clothing, I think it looks very cool. Um, um, that's it. I don't think I'd wear it, but that's not yeah. what we're here to discuss. I think it's, um, <laughs> so it has 55 stores. They're selling workwear, work apparel, and um, the founder is back in the driving seat. What do you think, Rory? I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to kind of give an opinion, but I was going to ask a pop quiz question. Oh, go. Okay. Does anyone know where Stephanie Pugliese ended up? What giant corporation she joined? Uh... I should because I read the this, but I didn't go deep enough to figure. Amazon, no, go, Under Armour, really? Yeah, is that so? Wow, she is president of North American Operations. Really, interesting. Uh, Jazz, can we edit that out and say? <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the one who said that. Okay, so that was Duluth. Um, so I think we're. we're going to wait and see kind of how the, the founder wait and see yeah where he um, points the ship but I think the brave who believe will uh, if they invest might very well be rewarded okay cool so there's lots of great stuff coming to the My Wall Street app over the next few weeks for you to enjoy um, October stock of the month has been live for almost two weeks now we're also adding a brand new stock to the app on Monday a 33 billion dollar giant that's still very relevant in today's world even though it was founded back in the early 80s um, I also just want to remind you again about the upcoming in-person event in New York City. This is a one-day live event that will take place on November 8th and tickets are selling out fast, so make sure to click the link in the notes for today's show to secure your place. Jargon Busters, so we have two questions for today's Jargon Busters. First one, Rory, is to do with ETFs. So what is an expense ratio on an ETF and how do you find it? I feel like we've answered this before, but I'll do it. Yeah, I think we um, An expense ratio is basically an ETF is typically put together by some sort of uh, organization like Vanguard yeah. or Fidelity or depending on how specific you want to get, they, they range in terms of complexity. So mm. um, one like VU, for example, is very simple. It just tracks the S&P 500 index. So not much managing to do yeah. with, that, with that ETF. And so you what you'll find is their expense ratio. So the expense ratio, first of all, is the fee that the organizations charge for running these funds. Yeah. Um, and the uh, for VU, something that's very simple, you'll find the expense ratio is like 0.03%. Okay. Uh, for something more specific, uh, they can go up to 1% and higher. So yeah. um, when you're thinking of things like, you know, if you want to get access to the Bulgarian stock market, you know, uh, that is going to cost you a lot more money because yeah, it's just it's... there's higher fees associated with buying and selling stocks in in that region. Um, or if you want to get really kind of industry specific ones, like we have a couple like Robo and Hack, yeah. which are kind of more managed than let's say Vu is, mm. where someone is actually sitting down and deciding what companies go into this fund. Yeah. Um, and you find the expense ratio. If you Google the ETF, you'll, it'll be 
there under the uh, on the company's prospectus page or Yahoo Finance will show it to you as well. They're usually very small, okay. usually quite low. Cool. The next question is one we've definitely had before, but it's quite a hot topic at the moment, I feel, kind of globally. So it's probably worth revisiting. So um, social responsibility companies, so companies that are leading the way maybe in sustainability or environmental awareness, where can you find them or is there any companies you'd point to invest in? This is such a hard question because like ESG is very on trend at the moment, but how do you define it? Like, yeah. you know, we know yeah. what the actual on paper definition is, but like one person's idea of a company being socially responsible and environmentally friendly may differ very much from someone else's. And, yeah. You know, I mean, like there's need to like Vanguard, which you just mentioned, actually, like a lot of the times when you want to find companies in a specific industry or, or in a specific sector, you go to the ETF and you can go through the holdings of, of what that ETF is holding. It gives you kind of a first list yeah. of things to look for. And Vanguard have an ESG uh, ETF. And the top five is like Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Facebook. Companies you know, like you yeah. typically associate like, with. I mean, like they are environmentally responsible. Like Microsoft has done a huge amount to make sure mm. that its carbon footprint is as low as possible. Um but like, is it an ESG big? It's ESG not the first company? thing you associate with those companies. No. Is maybe a better way. Yeah, it's. I mean, like the the Vanguard ETF is basically the S and P five hundred without the oil companies. Yeah. Mm. So, <laughs> um. So I mean, look, it's just one of those things you kind of have to do a little bit more of a kind of analog dig on and mm. just go out there and look for companies that you aligns with your ideas of what a ESG company is. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we've talked about it before, like Beyond Meat, for example, is a company that you could classify as very environmentally responsible yeah. because agriculture is one of the biggest problems we have when it comes to carbon. Um, I carbon suppose there's, there's, it's worth making the point as well that that's a, that's a future-looking environmental company in the way that if they fulfill their vision, it'll be very environmentally sustainable. Mm. But, you know, then companies like Apple and Microsoft, what they're doing right now, some of the actions they're taking right now are considered environmentally responsible. So just kind of are you looking towards the horizon, these com- smaller companies who are seeking to change the world are companies that are acting in a responsible way right now? It's so hard to kind of decide. Like, yeah, it's like basically ESG is a term that every company probably has someone in there who is their <laughs> yeah. ESG person. Yeah. And yeah. they just put out a load of press releases about how great the company is for environmentally, socially good governance things. And so every company is kind of in their own way an ESG company. Absolutely. Because it's, and it's up to you to kind of do it. It is. It's entirely it. Yeah. yeah. And when you bring it into the investing realm, you're trying to crystallize your own beliefs and find a business that aligns with those. And as Roy said, it's so difficult. And yeah. businesses, when they get to a size, well, I think all businesses should or at least are out to do good, mm. um, should want to or are out to do good. Um, and the bigger you get, the more you can afford to at least purport to be a good player, as you said, Rory, and you have someone in there pumping out stories. But the, how personal that, when it comes down to investing, should you invest in a business because of its you know, corporate social responsibility or environmental impact? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. I certainly okay. personally would not invest in a business that isn't trying. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, so it's almost like a list of who I wouldn't invest in, yeah. as opposed to who I will invest okay. in. Interesting, you know? cool. Um, so that was jargon busters, and now we're going on to the elevator pitch. So for this week's elevator pitch, I asked you guys to pick a company out of our top ten best performing stocks that you think has the most road left to run. So over the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. Which company out of our current best performers do you think has a lot of road left to run? 
Um, give you guys 30 seconds? Mm-hmm. Okay, 60, 60. Right, Rory, you look ready to go first. <laughs> right, 60 seconds, go. Uh, so I think we were going to pick the same one and I decided, we did that last week, so I, actually right. ch- I chose a different one, but okay. you'll hear what my real one was when Emma um, gives his. I'm going to pick the Trade Desk. It's a company that has seen explosive growth since we added it about two years ago. I think it's up like fourfold at this point, but I still think there's a massive opportunity ahead for these guys. Streaming is the future. There is very little doubt about that when it comes to media and entertainment. And ad-supported streaming will make a big part of that, along with the likes of Netflix and Disney+. And the Trade Desk owns a really attractive space in that value chain. And they're agnostic to who wins the streaming war. They don't care. They will sell ads to whoever is there putting stuff out on streaming services. Revenue's up 42% from last year. I really like their CEO and founder, Jeff Green. He's a pioneer in this space and um, just seems like a really nice guy. Cool. Good pitch for the Trade Desk. Um, Emmett. Which of our companies do you think has the most road left to run? So the company I'm going with is Viva Systems, uh, which is a cloud-based software. Mm-hmm. No no surprises. We have a few of them. Um, basically, at its core, supports pharma companies in the lifetime management of the drugs that they have in their portfolio. So the sales, clinical trials, quality control, regulatory affairs. Everyone knows that running a pharma business is extremely complex. There are very, very, very many steps in in, in conceptualizing and bringing to market a product. Um, they also have a, so they have this software solution which uh, virtually has nobody, no churn. Yeah. It has 100% retention rate. You basically decide to use as a business Viva to manage your product pipeline and that's where it stays. It's the salesforce.com of the pharma industry and also goes into other industries like chemical, cosmetics, life sciences. Um, and basically due to customer attention and the utility that the business provides and the growth in their core product, which is called uh, Vault, uh, which now is 50% of their revenue, uh, I think that Viva Systems is going to go from strength to strength. I think it's a magnificent company and um, I'm invested in it and intend remaining so. Okay, Viva Systems, two good pitches there. So, are you going to pick one? I think I'll go with Trade Desk. Yeah, I I think um, it's kind of they're they're kind of that agnostic platform, kind of like Roku in a way that are are latching onto a trend, yeah. and whoever's the winner, they're going to benefit from them. And um, so, if you want to check out the full list of our best performing stocks, you can do so right now in our pick section of the My Wall Street app. That's about it from this week's stock club. Don't forget about all the great new stuff in the My Wall Street app at the moment. If there's anything else you want us to discuss or explain on the next episode, make sure to get in touch with us on Twitter. That's at MyWallStreetHQ or email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Stock Club podcast too. And if you're enjoying it, please leave a review on whatever platform you listen to us on. That's it from us here. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Happy investing. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.